0: You want to find and keep your tribe of raving fans. I want to support that journey. This is the Digging Deep podcast with your host Justin Lamb of 360 Media. I explore ways to help you build a more attractive business that finds and keeps your tribe of raving fans. Hey, everybody! This is Justin Lamb, and you're listening to episode 33 of Digging Deep, where we help business owners build better businesses. And today I am joined by an amazing individual, Dr. Drew Faulkner, a professional vocationalist. Drew, how are you? I'm doing amazing, always living the good life. How about you, Justin? I can't complain. It's been, it's been pretty awesome. Um, lately, business has picked up, so that's been really great. So, first question right off to you What is a vocational professional?
1: awesome question really putting me on the hot seat right away aren't you now right, right yeah, just is, just just own it drew just own it yeah. so uh, for me uh, I started my journey as a I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grow up like you know when everyone grows up and they want to be a teacher or they want to be the gas attendant or they want to be the lawnmower guy I, I had no clue what I wanted to be and I, I didn't want to follow my parents paths whatsoever I love my parents dearly just uh, I didn't see myself as a bank teller or I didn't see myself operating a uh, an arena. And what happened was uh, I went for career counseling and my career counselor said, you should do career counseling. I was like, interesting. I have no idea what I want to do, but I'm going to tell the world what they should do. So kind of just mirroring everybody else before it happened. And what happened in my training was that I actually got the designation vocational uh, professional. And what that means is that I can actually look at somebody's education history, um, work experience, volunteerism, you name it, that gambit. But I also studied on the medical side of things. So not medically trained, please don't ever think that, but I can look at restrictions and limitations. So if somebody were to get into an accident or um, a, they get injured, maybe playing a sporting game and they can no longer utilize a function of their body parts, or it could even be a mental issue, uh, mental issue as well. Like a, uh, like a PTSD or something along those lines, I actually have the credentials that I can support somebody through that recovery process as well. So it was my way of saying, let me help people figure out what they want to do so that I can just be happy and helping others.
0: So that's interesting. So to become what you've done before, you, you went through career counseling to find out that you should be into career counseling. So how does... How do you battle what happens in the in, in the mind where if you don't know what you want to do, how do you tell somebody else what you want to do? And I believe they call that imposter syndrome.
1: <laughs> I have dealt with imposter syndrome all my life. And you know what the problem is, Justin, is that... The people that you confide in can sometimes use that against you, uh, what that storytelling is. those uh, the, I call it the vaulted information. And what happened was my high school teachers, uh, when I was going through high school, because I didn't know what I was doing. I was picking subjects at random. I had no idea what I wanted. And uh, they're like, maybe you should just settle. Like, you should just, like, do, like, an entry-level job. Be happy content and I was like that doesn't sound like me at all and when I went for my college and university training I was actually always shocked at my grades thinking wow this you know I was told that I wasn't really going to amount to much in the high school field. And, that you know, I was picking subjects at whim, like, I I felt like I was taking basket weaving at one point, just because it was there and saying, hey, you know what, if I don't like it, then at least I know I've tried it and considered it and moved on with it. But what happened was, uh, it wasn't until I, I completed my master's degree in uh, post-secondary studies, so adult education, because I was like, maybe this is something of interest to me, um, that people were like, why don't you just take the final haul and do a doctorate? And I'm like, Dr. Drew. Nice ring to it. Let's try it. So, applied, went through the process. I had my defense and all that fun stuff. I would never wish that upon anybody, by the way, at defense. I had like six people I had to present uh, my findings and my research. And then I got told that I, I passed. And I was like, am I a doctor now? And they're like, yeah, you can actually call Dr. Fockler. And I was like, no, that's not true. I I had, I was told at high school, like over 15 plus years ago that I wasn't going to amount to this level, or I wasn't ever going to reach this, that I truly struggled with my, um, with who I was. And also coupling that with not knowing what profession I really wanted to get myself into. It's really scary. And I'm even feeling like anxiety right here right now, because it's like, we're always pressured to be something in society. And now all of a sudden you've hit that, that climax, that opportunity where you've said, Hey, I've got my credentials done. I've got these time. I've got my incubation time where, you know, the work experience and all that fun stuff. And now it's all of a sudden you're done. And I'm like, really? and now I'm just called a doctor just like that I don't feel any different like when we we find what we're doing or we find our passion I don't feel any different I feel like the same drew 15 years ago but it's like interesting and when people were um, asking me about my my schooling and stuff I'm talking to them about my journey and they're just wow because education wasn't meant for them and I was like I didn't think education was meant for me either but I did it and said, "Hey, let's give her a go. Give it the old college try," and uh, you know, sacrificed a lot of late hours. Thanks to my husband for that one, because yeah, he was off to the side being like, "Make sure you eat. Make sure you hydrate." <laughs> but uh, it, it was definitely a journey, and even now to this day, I still tackle imposter syndrome, Dustin, and it's not fun because you you get called upon lawyers or medical professionals in the field, and they, they ask you, um, and they're like, you are allowed to have an opinion now. And I'm like, am I? Am I really supposed to have an opinion on this? Like, how do I have an opinion on something like this when I don't believe that I had the qualifications? And then, you know, I look up at my, my degree, and I'm like, never mind, I do have an opinion now. So it's just a a weird journey to go on that definitely had winding and bending turns all across the the world there.
0: And that's interesting because, you know, a a few podcasts ago, I was talking to Alison Brand and we were talking about uh, not necessarily imposter syndrome, but it came across that, you know, when we're really um, passionate about something and that we're, putting so much of our time and effort and our reputation on it, that fear that we feel that, that fear that we identify as imposter syndrome is probably more of an indication of how much we care about it because our name is on it. And not necessarily that we're an imposter, but that whatever we're going to say, whatever that comes out of our mouth is like going to be, Used against you in a court of law, so to speak. I guess if you think about it that way. So, how do you personally sort of defend against that? Like, how do you how do you put up the the barriers in your mind so that you don't go there? Or, you know, how do you shorten the time frame that you're in in that space mentally?
1: I, I think you nailed it, and Allison did too. Way to go, Allison! I, I know Allison Brandwell too. Um, For me, I feel like fear and excitement is the same emotion. And what I do is I honor the fact that it's an emotion that's charging me and getting me heightened. And there's that heightened sensitivity of that that particular issue that's coming up. And for me, it was imposter syndrome. And there was that fear that maybe I was gonna say the wrong thing, but there was also the excitement of doing the research to make sure I said the right thing. So I I feel like what I did was I had a coping mechanism put into place and practice that I still do that if I start feeling anxious, well, maybe I'm I'm uh, I'm misinterpreting the emotion that I have. And in this case, it might not be anxiety. It might just be my excitement. And I've just not put the proper word terminology attached to my emotion at that time. Uh, I hope that answers your question because I, I know I'm feeling a slight bit of anxiety, but I'm also really excited and passionate about this kind of stuff too. So I'm wondering if I'm just miss, my brain is not wiring properly
0: to what the emotion truly feels like. And that's really interesting that you touch upon that because, um, you know, in, in the journey that I've had, um, through through the different courses and and things, and unfortunately it's hard to really pinpoint a single, um, source of where I learned that from it's, it's, our brain is hardwired to, to be fearful of things. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's the, the fight or flight syndrome and for us, um, when we're in that space our brain is trying to protect us at all costs and so it's better to fear than it is to just be excited because excited doesn't seem like it's a it's an emotion that does anything extra for you it's just exciting so your your brain is trying to interpret all these signals and and you you hit it like really solidly in that we need to, as individuals, separate those emotions um, away from the factual statements and then be at peace and accept and embrace the emotion as its own separate entity. And then looking at all the factual information, you know, clear of emotion, and then being confident in that what we're delivering. Uh, and what we're, we're we're putting out there is sound information um, and and that we can be confident in doing so. And if we continually work on separating those emotions, over time it gets faster, it gets easier. And I think it pushes us forward.
1: Well, and I think you're right that it, it puts us it moves us forward hundred percent. but I think it's also the journey that we're all living. And no one lives the same journey twofold like uh, I feel like in past lives I've lived different journeys but at the same time I feel like this particular journey has put me through a lot of curveballs in my life because no two days are ever the same and I enjoy that about my life I love the fact that I'm not doing a a routine like job and having the same interactions daily because that would bore me and where I get the excitement and the energy is meeting complete strangers I know stranger danger is not supposed to be the thing that we should be talking about but we should also be acknowledging that everybody has a journey and that opportunity to have somebody listen about the journey understand the journey and to be there to support is so critical because you know if I didn't like I had such a great support system through my journey, but I I know a lot of people that don't. And then that's where I turn into like the biggest cheerleader for a lot of people because they need to have that support mechanism in place too. So that if they aren't successful in how they perceive success, then they have somebody off to the side saying, Hey, let's look at the the wins that you had. And maybe even there are opportunities for growth as well. So I, I don't think of, um, I don't think of it as a linear process. I feel like it's the the biggest bending road that you're ever going to see when it comes towards finding out our true identities and what that's going to look like.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting because you know, as our journeys progress in our lives, we often um, think of it as, well, how am I going to help that individual who's sitting across from me? Because, you know, and and we go back to sort of that imposter syndrome. But how do you feel about you know? when we're quote unquote the professionals, the advisors for an individual, we're advising them based on a set of experiences and you know, I personally don't feel like we have to know everything, but we can share what we've gone through. We can share our experiences, and sometimes that is enough to help an individual over their hump. Um, and you don't have to have the answers. Now, in your case, it's a really important thing because you're a person who aggregates all of that information, um, and you're and you're making recommendations based on your experiences. Can you talk about you know what it means to be on your journey? And being okay with recommending things that, you know, are only in your psyche now, but, you know, and, and how you how you kind of coach people and, and help support them. Like, what can you instill upon others who are listening to this to be a better support group and not feel like that they're the imposter and not trying to be overbearing and telling people what to do?
1: My favorite quote, I still, I need to figure out who said this quote, but it's when one person teaches, two people are learning. And I use that as my focal point with a lot of the the clientele that I work with or the people that I interact with, because I don't know all the answers. I have resources. I've got a toolbox of knowledge that I can utilize, but sometimes it's not the right tool that this person needs. And I leverage that. And I, I, I feel like I'm as humble as I humanly can at times in saying, you know what, I might not have the answer. Let's look at this together and figure out what would be a good answer to work with. Because sometimes when I even look at uh, testing results, assessment results from individuals, it doesn't mean much to me, but when I explain how I'm viewing the results, it makes perfect sense for that recipient. It makes perfect sense to them. And that's why I always believe that it's a journey of two people coming together. And we, we are meant to come together at whatever point in time. And yes, I might have that toolbox and resources, but that person has the knowledge and experience of themselves. And that's why I think it's so important that when one person is teaching the information, there's two people learning. Cause then I'm learning new things about that person and I'm learning things about their profession. And uh, it, it just excites me because I, I learned so much about the little intricacies of different workplaces, different uh, upbringings. Uh, last week I was working with somebody that was a nurse. So they were telling me the intricacies of their role, what they had to do every day. And it's just, I What I don't know, I don't know. And I learn and I hopefully use that for future. And reversely uh, for that person is that they're getting some different experience now and they're learning how things can be uh, perceived differently and what that could be looking like for them as they
0: continue their journey as well. Amazing. And so can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what, what life was like for you then growing up? Like, I think there's so many things that, that now are started to, to come into my mind about, you know, what did, what did Drew grow up like in order to, to sort of find these qualities and then find that niche in, in vocational, uh, as a vocational professional, like, you know, into education. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what your upbringing was like, some of your earlier uh, education and personality development.
1: Sure, so um, my parents, pretty much didn't enjoy what they were doing in life. And as a child, you see that they're not happy and you're kind of like, why do they do what they do? Because it doesn't seem like it's bringing them joy. And I feel like that was something that really resonated me as a child. And I, I call myself the black sheep in my family. Like all my family members are for the most part, uh, hands on, like realistic jobs. Like I have farmers, construction workers, like they're very hands-on oriented people. And here I am not working anywhere near that more. So helping people that may be getting injured from those workplaces. And a prime example was I was working with somebody, uh, two maybe three weeks ago now uh, that was in the uh, as was a carpenter and was injured on the job site and uh you know here I am sitting with my like shirt and talking to them and they're like oh you wouldn't know anything about carpentry and I'm like oh really (laughs) so then it's putting that story that even though I may not have lived that role I have seen people working in that role and what it means to them and I feel like as an observer uh, as an observer I spend a lot of time listening and seeing things in different perspectives and I found that has helped me in my journey because I do see things differently I I, you know one of my favorite uh, games that I played uh, in my college university years is what gender should that occupation be and why because what would happen is there's you know the pink jobs and blue jobs that I, I hear about all the time and I'm like I don't actually see somebody doing that as a pink job I see that as somebody that was a blue job, and now that we're talking about uh, transgendered and uh, personalities and um, all that, uh, the cis world as well, like uh, a cis male versus a cis fema- a female. I'm like, does it even matter about blue and pink jobs anymore? And talking about that, and remove the gender barrier to all these occupations where it's traditionally a male's job. And I'm like, who who ever said that? And for me, it's that looking beyond the gender of people looking beyond the the geography where the person was brought up the all that stuff and saying if the person truly wants to do x job let's help them let's give them the tools let's give them the resources be their cheerleader and say hey we're here to help rather than saying sorry and you don't have the right um the the right uh whether it was uh, an uh, anatomy for the job or you don't have the right uh, upbringing to be in that role. So I feel like for me, it's that I have seen life as so many different barriers and people unhappy with what they're doing, that if we are only on this world for, well, I think sometimes a short time, why don't we be happy what we've what we're doing rather than you know being a a drone in a world of you know so many opportunities that you could be something you've always wanted to be
0: so why do you think people pursue uh the mundane and and trudge through the unhappy instead of going to the happy it's because it's safe It's safe. It is something that keeps them comfortable.
1: It's something that keeps them secure in their their happiness and what they what they perceive as happy too, and um, and also society sometimes inflicts that too on us, where they say, "Hey, you should be happy if you have X job or you're making this salary expectation. You should be happy because that's what people are striving to achieve." And sometimes it's saying hey, you know what, that's great that that's what society is trying to achieve. But this is what my goals are. This is what my ambitions are. Because I still remember in high school when I was told, you know what, your, your, uh, your grades aren't that great. So uh, you probably may not even get into college. And I'm like, Wow, fast forward the clock, and here I am teaching at the college level. So it, it shows you that sometimes even if we're told, hey, you're not going to amount to much, don't don't try, those people are going to try tenfold harder just to be like, proved you wrong. Hey, how's it going?
0: <laughs> it's so true. It is so true. I think um, there are many people, especially alpha-type people, um, there's a little bit of an FU uh kind of kind of mentality to it it's if you tell me i can't i'm going to do it just so i can say i did it um and, and it's really interesting I, I i think true bread entrepreneurs have a lot of that in them um and and it doesn't matter how tough they'll just eat it they'll, they'll eat the shit and they'll just grind through it just just so that they can say i did it now what uh what do you have to say for yourself and it's so weird it's it's I don't know if it's a sickness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would call it a sickness, but I, I think
1: it's definitely something that's put a fire under their butt, and they said, "You know what? I want to see what I can do then, and really test my limits." And I think that's you know another part is that society puts limits on us and tells us, you know, we're not allowed to walk on the middle of the road. We're not because it's not deemed safe. But you see people walking on the middle of the road because it then becomes protected. Like there's stop signs, there's uh, flaggers in in British Columbia that, you know, that do stand in the middle of the road and guide people in their traffic. So they're actually going contrary to what society says. Don't, don't walk in the middle of the road. But hey, maybe we can walk in the middle of the road if we are actually in a, a safe environment where we can actually test that boundary.
0: Amazing. So one of the things I ask all of my podcast guests, and I didn't prepare you for this because I know you know an abundance of things, but what is a, uh, a reference, a piece of inspiration that has guided your journey that you could share with the audience that they should you know, look into and read more about, whether it's a book, a website, um, you know, a magazine article, something that uh, has inspired your journey. I love Dr. Brené Brown.
1: She's probably one of my favorite um, authors, researchers, guides in the wilderness of life. And I personally utilize her um, acronym BRAVING a lot, which is, um, it stands for boundaries. um, Oh, goodness. Now I'm really putting myself. um, Relatable accountability accountability vault, integrity, non-judgmental, and generosity. And people resonate to one of those pieces of the um, BRAVING acronym. And what I always do is when I talk to people about the the BRAVING uh, modality that she shares, I always ask people, you know, what resonates with them? Can I put you on the hot seat? I know you're the one, but but what is out of the BRAVING? What would be your letter, Justin, when I just rhyme them quickly off to you?
0: Can you do it one more time?
1: Uh, boundaries, uh, relatability, accountability, vault, which means that, you know, what you share with me stays with me, Uh, integrity, non-judgmental, and generosity.
0: Uh, Probably the integrity or
1: generosity. See, and when people hear that, something resonates with them that builds that trust, that builds that foundation of relationship. For me, it's the vault. And whenever I get, uh, when I am shared something that is sensitive or um, it's just personal, I turn around and I tell people it's not my story to tell. And I find that with uh, Dr. Brené Brown, when I listen to her talking, that is the foundation of the trust that I believe heavily in. Because if somebody starts talking about somebody else's story, well, then they've already lost my trust And it's something that would take a little bit of time for me to rekindle because I don't want to tell my story now to that person because I feel like it's just going to go out and it's not going to be kept safe or protected. It's now going to be... misinterpreted sometimes or the the connotations aren't there as well and it just makes people feel like uh, you know I I don't feel good when I hear that and that's why I'm like you know what that doesn't sound like your story to tell whose story is it and they're like actually it's somebody and I was like maybe that person should be sharing that story so that people get the the general the genuine. feeling and emotion that's attached to it as well. So that's why I think that's uh, Dr. Brené Brown's braving is uh, the anatomy of trust is what it's called.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So for those listeners who are listening, how can they connect with you to learn more about uh, vocational uh, professional work and, and helping them you know, find their perfect place in the world?
1: Sure. So uh, www.vocationalquest.com is my website, um, or it's drew at vocationalquest.com are the easy ways to find me. I'm also on like Instagram, Facebook at vocationalquest, is uh, how simple I was able to get all those account
0: names. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Drew. And for those people who are listening, thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I really do appreciate the time that you've taken to uh, share your ears with me. And and I always try to find interesting people, interesting topics to talk about. Uh, So if you have anything uh, interesting that you'd like me to explore, please make sure that you leave comments in uh, the comment sections uh, wherever you're finding this. So again, thank you, Drew, for joining me today. And uh, well, hopefully we'll have you on another day. We'll talk a little bit more. All right. Thanks, Justin. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Your time is valuable, and I'm deeply humbled that you're spending that time with me. I want to make this channel something really great, something you can really enjoy and get a lot of value out of. So if you have any suggestions or comments, please connect with me and let me know. If you enjoyed this content, I'd love it if you'd share with somebody else and if you'd leave a comment on iTunes for me. This helps me rank higher on the search engines. And as always, tune in next week as we dig deeper into marketing and business. Until next time, have a great day.